Before we turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, let us turn first to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I have been greatly encouraged and inspired and humbled over the last 24 hours. I was up most of the night praying in meditation over this passage of Scripture, and that's a lot for a man who likes to be in bed by 8.30. One o'clock in the morning is pretty late. But I've been so humbly inspired and encouraged by Peter's exhortation. And it is the preacher's greatest desire that he might, by God's grace, be able to preach the message the same way the Lord has given him, and yet too often we fail at that, being finite creatures. Yet I pray God would give me grace this morning to encourage and excite you in your battle against our great adversary. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for thee. We could pause there for quite a while. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Amazing passage of Scripture. First Peter chapter 5. When thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cared for you. He prayed for me, that my faith fail not. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I wonder if Peter was speaking of himself. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, I ask now your blessing. God, forgive me for all my shortcomings and sins. Forgive me even now for failing to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ as clearly as I should. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to thy children in spite of my weaknesses. Lord, may you be honored and glorified and may the Spirit of God, Lord, may he guide us all this morning into this wonderful truth. Equip your children, Lord, with the armor of God that we might be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. We love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The more I meditated on this passage of Scripture and that in Luke, the more I was amazed by the infinite mercy and grace of God that he would not once but twice allow Peter to be wounded by the onslaughts of our great adversary, only to be converted that he might strengthen his brethren. 
The more I thought about that, the more I thought if how Christians today would have treated Peter, who had denied his Lord not once, not twice, but thrice, three times. How the church would have probably thrown him out or abandoned him, labeled him a heretic, an apostate. Dearly beloved, beware, beware when you begin to look at other men's sins and failures. For you know not what God has in store. Or why God has allowed Satan to possibly sift a brother or sister. An old man of God once said when he seen a man sin, he said he sinned today, but I might sin tomorrow. Our forefathers were so humbled in the fact that they were weak and their infirmities were just as bad and just as strong as others. And yet, the Lord sovereignly allowed Peter to be sifted, to be wounded by our adversary, that he, after his conversion, after being strengthened himself, would strengthen his brethren. Many of child of God, many saints of God, have risen from falling under Satan's snares only to encourage and exhort and comfort God's people. For that which Satan intended to be the downfall and ruin of one man, Christ would sovereignly design to be the strengthening of countless saints of God. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Teach them, show them, encourage them, strengthen them in the same faith that you, that I prayed for, that redeemed and recovered you. Strengthen your brethren. That Satan's designs to destroy and ruin God's elect have always been thwarted and frustrated by God's sovereign love and care for His own is clearly evidenced throughout Scripture. When we look at David or Job and even Peter, the recording of these and others of God's children's sins is not that we might be encouraged to sin, but that His own might avoid all those occasions and temptations to sin into which they fell. Satan sifted Peter so that we might learn through Peter's experience not to fall into the same trap. That's the mercy and grace of God. And yet we live in a generation where Christians are so quick to judge and condemn other believers when they believe they're not living the way they ought, or when they fall into some kind of sin or temptation. We're quick to judge them. How would we have judged Peter when we learned he denied him three times and the third time with cursing? We would have excommunicated him out of the church. We'd have called and said he's not fit for the ministry. Beware, dearly beloved, how we judge one another when we each fall into sin or temptation. Beware that we do not bring judgment upon our own selves. Josephus said after the crucifixion of Christ, not many days, months afterwards, that those same Jews that cried out to, cru to crucify Christ 
were themselves crucified and that there was too few crosses to crucify all of them. That was that many who was crucified not long after the days of Christ's crucifixion. Oh, dearly beloved, beware and be cautious. We know not how God sovereignly chooses to use his people. Even when they fall under the snares of Satan. Thomas Brooks, a Puritan, once said, The Lord hath made their sins his landmarks to warn his people to take heed how they come near those sands and rocks, those snares and baits that have been fed, that had been fatal to the choicest treasure. End of quote. So Peter now strengthens his brethren. Oh, the goodness and grace of God. But I have prayed for thee. What comfort those words must have given Peter throughout his entire lifetime in this world. What comfort they must have been when he began to pin down these words by saying, Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you like he did me. He lifted me up out of despair and the pit of miry clays and set my feet upon a rock because he cares for me. And now Peter says, be sober and be vigilant. Exhorts now the converted Peter whose sifting by Satan has been frustrated by Christ and who would now strengthen his chosen by saints, Satan's sifting of Peter. Therefore, he first calleth us to be sober and to be vigilant. Why be sober and be vigilant? Hmm. Oh, the scripture is full of reasons why we should be sober and vigilant, not just because of our adversary, but listen why we should be vigilant and sober. The tares which the enemy came and sowed amongst the wheat while men slept, dearly beloved, have sprung up and now appeareth. Ungodly men who once crept in unawares amongst God's people, continued to turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, declared Jude. Many false teachers have privily brought in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, whereby many have followed their pernicious ways and who now speak evil of the way of truth, said Peter. Grievous wolves, said Paul to the elders at Ephesus, have entered in amongst God's people, sparing not the flock. Even amongst our own Seranx have men arrived speaking perverse things to draw disciples after themselves. The perilous times of which Paul forewarned are surely upon us, for men are certainly today lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, etc., etc., and yes, even Satan, our great adversary, continues to incessantly walk about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Beloved, all these perils and more have been unfolding before the eyes of God's people for centuries. And today they are more evident and perilous than ever before. Therefore, more than ever, we must, Peter exhorts, we must be sober we must be vigilant. Sober. We looked at a few weeks ago. We cannot 
Dearly beloved, we cannot, we must not be taken up with the riches and pleasures of this world, nor carried away with their fears and anxieties. And we see that happening all amongst God's people today. Both being caught up in the riches and pleasures, and both being carried away with the fears and anxieties. What shall we eat? What shall we wear? Where shall these fuel prices bring us? Shall we be able to survive? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And all the pleasures and riches of this world have ensnared many believers. Getting ahead of myself, but they live almost as though they're on vacation. Let us not be carried away with the fears and anxieties that this world is presently suffering under. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Isaiah 26 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, whose mind, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Oh, be sober-minded, Peter says. Our, our Lord himself said in Luke 21, Take heed to yourselves. To yourselves. Why? Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. Be sober-minded. Be careful. Take heed to yourselves. Peter would also say in 1 Peter 1, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Your mind. Oh, I fear this sober-mindedness lacks amongst many believers. We allow too much of this world to influence our thoughts and our thinking. We allow, we allow the fears and anxieties that the world suffers on to influence us. And we begin to doubt God's benevolence, to doubt God's sovereignty, doubt God's providence. We begin, we've taken up by the pleasures and riches of the world and that our minds are not set on the things above, but on the things of the earth. They trouble us. They trouble our minds. They give us no rest. God help us to be sober-minded. But he also adds to sober-mindedness, Peter says, to be vigilant. To be vigilant has a multitude of meanings. It means to keep awake, to be watchful, avoid danger, to provide for safety. It means to shake off carnal and sinful security, being overconfident. And to take the utmost heed lest sin, Satan, or the world should deceive, overcome, or hurt us. That's what vigilant means. Be vigilant. This word vigilant is used only twice in Scripture. The word vigilant, only twice in Scripture. Once here regarding our adversary, and the other concerning the office of a bishop or pastor who Paul says must be vigilant. Pastor must be always watchful, always alert. But the meaning of this word vigilant, the meaning of it, is used throughout the New Testament. It's not just simply two verses. We're told throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, that such vigilance is important for the child of God in this present world. This same word is used by Christ Himself in exhorting His followers to be watchful concerning His coming again. Look at Mark chapter 13. Read with me Mark chapter 13. 
verse 32. But of that day and of that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch. That's vigilant. And pray. Many times in Scripture you'll see watch and pray in one sentence. When we pray, we need to be watchful what we pray for. We need to be watchful that we don't allow ourselves and our minds and our hearts to wander. We need watchful that no temptation comes in when we pray. Oh, to be vigilant, dearly beloved, is a virtue that every true believer must always be aware of. Be vigilant. Watch and pray. Take ye heed. Watch and pray. For you know not when the time is come for the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore. For you know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Be vigilant in regards to the coming of the Lord. Always be watchful and ready. Always be vigilant. Are we vigilant when it comes to the coming of the Lord? Are we watchful? The Lord says that what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Ministers and pastors are compared to watchmen who are to watch over the church of God, taking oversight, Peter says, discerning spiritual danger and faithfully warning them and protecting them while feeding them from the precious Word of God. They are called watchmen. Paul said in Hebrews, for they watch for their souls as they that must give account. We watch for the souls as they that must give account. And beloved, believe me, after 35 years in the ministry, there are many Christians who do not respect the pastors being watchful over their souls, warning them and exhorting them of such sinful falls and failures and dangers. Many of them take it personally. And yet that is the calling of the pastor. He's to watch over the flock of God. He's to keep the wolves away. He's to warn them of danger. So a pastor must watch, must be vigilant, if he's any kind of pastor at all. We are exhorted to continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, Paul said in Colossians. Prayer and watchfulness Go together. Even in the armor of God, in Ephesians 6, Paul says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto. Into what? Into prayer and supplication with all perseverance and supplication. Listen to this. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. For what? For all saints. Look at that, for all saints. Do we do that when we pray? 
Do we pray that God would protect our brothers and sisters? Do we pray that God would help them when the adversary confronts them? Do we pray that they fall not into temptation? Do we pray when they fall, when they falter, when they fail, when they sin? Paul exhorts us, pray, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Even in our text in Peter, he says, knowing that your brethren in the world, in the world, in the present world, have accomplished these things. Oh, that Christians would spend more time watching in prayer for one another rather than watching to condemn and judge. We might pray for one another. That's why, dearly beloved, on Saturdays when we have prayer meetings and we ask people for prayer, when you have need of prayer, when you have something troubling you, when you have a decision to make, when you have something that you really need God's guidance in, I beseech you, let the church of God know that we might pray with you. If we believe in the power of prayer, then certainly we must believe in the intercessory prayer of our brothers and sisters to encourage and help us. Paul emphasizes that watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And with that said, before I forget, John Hamilton last night when I spoke to him on the phone, not that John, but the elder John, wanted me to remind you that him and his wife Connie are praying for us all the time consistently, though they know not everyone here. He said, let them know we are still praying for them consistently and daily that God might use this small church for his glory. Oh, if we believed in prayer, we would watch under the same, therefore, with all perseverance and supplication. So you see, vigilance is something that should be a characteristic of every true child of God. Vigilant, a high state of alertness, watchful, and prompt to meet danger or emergencies, quick to perceive and to act. That's vigilant. That's a Christian soldier in this world. He doesn't take his ease. He doesn't relax. He doesn't go on a spiritual vacation. He knows he lives in a world that lieth in wickedness. He knows there's an adversary who's incessantly walking around seeking whom he may devour. He knows his own heart, and that is enough to call us unto vigilance. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, Proverbs says. So vigilance is a characteristic of a good Christian soldier. I fear such spiritual vigilance is very rare amongst many professing believers. The apparent ease, lack of alertness and spiritual indifference and apathy, which is so prevalent amongst many believers today, proves that such spiritual vigilance is absent amongst many. It's almost as though the Christians in the world today take their ease in the world. Amos, the prophet's warned God's people. In Amos chapter 6, verse 1, Woe to them that are eased in Zion. Woe to them that are eased in Zion. 
Oh, dearly beloved, true child of God, does not dread being vigilant. He's inspired by it. He's inspired by it because of his love for Christ and the love for God's truth and the love for God's glory and honor in a world that denies him, rejects him, and hates him. He's roused up to be a soldier. He's vigilant. It's in his blood. The blood of the new birth. To observe many professing believers today, you would think they were on a spiritual vacation. Their affection and fondness for the things and pleasures of this world surprise me. Their carelessness and seemingly inattentiveness to the many spiritual dangers in this world, beloved, prove the lack or absence of spiritual vigilance. They embrace the pleasures of the world. They live their life in this world as though there's no danger at all. And God is sovereign. He'll keep me. I have nothing to fear. Beloved, God's sovereignty is no excuse to be at ease in Zion. Rather, the contrary. His sovereignty should excite us and arouse us to vigilance. If Peter would exhort us to vigilance, because our great adversary, as a roaring lion, he says, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He says, he walketh about, therefore be diligent, be vigilant. Because such vigilance is needed because we never know when or how he may confront us. He's walking about. That's the emphasis. He's walking about. You never know where he is. You never know how he's going to confront you. You never know how he's going to assail you. You don't know what he's going to do. He's always walking about. He's not standing in one place. He changes his methods. He changes his devices. If he can't come in this door, he'll come in another door. If he can't come in that door, he'll look until he finds another door. This is why a Christian is always vigilant. We might defeat one sin, but there's a thousand more that need to be defeated. We might close one door on Satan, but there's a hundred more that he can open. He's walking about, and therefore a Christian is vigilant. He's carefully sober-minded. This is not of God. This is of Satan. What I'm thinking, what I'm doing, where I'm going, this is not of God. This is of Satan. Why? Because he's learned to be vigilant. A soldier that is asleep and at ease is not aware of any danger. And so it comes upon him, and before he knows it, it's overtaken him, and he's fallen. If he'd only been sober-minded and vigilant, that would not have happened. And a lot of Christians are like this. And then they justify their reasons. They justify why they're acting the way they are. When in, when in all reality, it's because you were not vigilant. Satan is always and everywhere walking about. Where we lack in vigilance against such an adversary who is constantly walking about, he then gets an advantage of us, Paul says. He gets an advantage of us. He takes us by surprise. Unexpectedly, he catches us off guard which often, if not always, leads to our suffering. 
the third time Peter denied the Lord, I'm sure it was the denial Peter himself would never thought he was possible of making. But the scripture says, but he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. The dart had struck him, and Peter was unaware of it going that far. You see, we must always be vigilant. You know, a soldier in time of warfare, my uncle served in the Vietnam, and he rode them PT boats down the rivers. And he said, no matter what happened when you're in camp, you were always tense and always alert. But when you're out in that boat going up and down those rivers along the banks of the river, you'd watch for every little slight movement there could be because you knew it could have been the sniper or somebody of the enemy lying in wait to kill you. He said, so everyone would be diligent and vigilant and watching the shorelines like a hawk for every movement. Oh, beloved, beware of those temptations that come in your mind that you know, common sense, you know are not of God but of Satan. Beware of those temptations that will tempt you to say or think or do things which you know are not biblically right. Be alert and aware of these things. When we practice this daily as believers, it becomes part of our lives. Many Christians or professing Christians, when they hear such a thing, they're saying that makes Christian very troublesome. No, it doesn't. When we do that daily, we're constantly, it's part of our lives, we're constantly vigilant. We don't have to be reminded of it. We're just constantly vigilant. We're aware of that. We walk through our daily life always aware of something that doesn't set right something that doesn't feel right, and I'm not saying emotionally wise only, but something that we know is not right. It's amazing how Christ gave him three attempts to realize what he was doing. And on the third one, he fell the farthest. So that's why I'm sure Peter is thinking of himself when he writes these words to be vigilant. You know, a lot of this being vigilant and sensitive to the temptations of Satan, of the world, and of our own heart comes with experience, comes with reading God's Word. Why do you think we're always encouraging you to read the Word of God? Read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Meditate over it and pray for it. And at the end, I'll remind you again, but you must know your adversary. You must know yourself. And of all things, you must know Christ. Christ said it himself, if you go to war, if a king goes to war, he doesn't go to war until he sits down and counts the cost, whether he's able to defeat his enemy. We've got to know our enemy. And the way we do that is by Scripture. Nothing reveals Satan's devices more clearly than Scripture. Nothing knows our depraved, depraved hearts more than Scripture. And nothing reveals us more of Christ than Scripture. So the more we know Scripture, the more we're sensitive and vigilant towards Satan and his devices. Why do you think Paul could say, we have no confidence in the flesh? We have no confidence in the flesh.
And again, I remind you, dearly beloved, we're all in the same battle. This is why next week I want to close this out by looking at what Peter says at the end of that verse where he says, knowing that your brother never accomplishes this thing. This is why, dearly beloved, we have to understand the battle is very fierce. It's a very fierce battle we have with our adversary. And we must be lovingly, carefully, patiently, meekfully watching over one another as brothers and sisters. Provoke one another to love and to good works. Forsake not the assembling yourselves together so much more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because we're, we should be encouraging one another. We should be exhorting one another, provoking to love and to good works. And carefully, meekly, patiently, lovingly, watching over one another. And when one falls, we lift them up. It's not good, Ecclesiastes says, for one to be alone. Because if he falls, there's none to pick him up. But if he have one by his side, they can pick him up. This is the whole emphasis behind the Good Samaritan where the Levite and the priest walked by, didn't do nothing. But the Good Samaritan came by and saw him and he dressed his wounds and he put oil in his wounds. He put him on his own horse, his own ass, and he took him to the inn and he paid the innkeeper. It's all a picture of how we should love our neighbor and that neighbor specifically one another as brothers and sisters. If you know anything, if you know anything of this spiritual conflict, when a brother or sister on Saturdays comes with a prayer request that I need your prayers, I need your help, we should be breaking in our hearts to pray and intercede on their behalf that God would give them the vigilance and the sober-mindedness and the faith to resist Satan steadfast in the faith that God might hold them up and exalt them and keep them. You know why there's so less love amongst Christians? Because there's so less intercessory prayer. I believe that with all my heart. People's always talking about, oh, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. And when that comes to asking what we want. But you know why we have so less love for one another as Christians? Because we don't pray for one another. Let me tell you something. If you spend valuable, valuable, and much time in prayer interceding on behalf of someone, your interest in them grows greatly. Your love for them grows greatly. And that's why we don't love one another as we ought. We think, well, we're Christians and we automatically should be loving one another. <laughs> Doesn't God teach us to love one another? Yes, he does, says First John. God teaches you to love one another. But how does God teach us to love one another? By supporting one another, provoking one another to love, love unto good works, to be there for one another, praying for one another. George Whitfield said himself, he said, there's nothing he desires, he, he loves and desires more in prayer than intercessory prayer. He said, that brings me the greatest satisfaction. If any prayer is interceding on behalf of my brethren, interceding and holding them up. So that like, for example, when our dear brother stands at a grave side of his own father and he's trying to preach the gospel to his family, that we hold him up in prayer that God would use him and use his words that he might preach the glorious gospel of Christ. He cannot do it on his own. We pray for one another. For we are not ignorant of his devices, Paul said. He is a vigilant, dearly beloved, that makes us wise to his devices, which are countless. For it's not so much the major conflicts with Satan that tend to harm us most. Listen to me closely. It's not the major conflicts with Satan 
that tend to harm us most, but it's those secret and often inward battles when Satan comes privately to tempt us. Those small, seemingly innocent temptations that Satan trips us up the most. Be careful of those things. Spurgeon one time riding a train, I'm sure you heard the story, riding a train, suddenly the train stops and breaks down. People's asking, why did the train stop? And come to find out there was one small pin that had come loose on one of the wheels in the front of the engine. And that one small pin stopped the whole train from moving. And Spurgeon used that in a sermon to illustrate it only takes one small sin to cause the whole train to stop. It's usually those small things. Beware of them small things. Beware of those small temptations, those seemingly secret Innocent temptations that Satan trips us up the most. Satan knows, dearly beloved, listen to me. Satan knows. He's not stupid. He's not ignorant. He knows that he cannot keep us from heaven. He knows that. He's not stupid. He can't keep a true child of God from heaven. For more than, for we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. He knows that. Just like in the garden. He didn't try to prove that God didn't exist because he knew he couldn't do that. Otherwise he would have tried. But he knew he couldn't erase that from the minds of Adam and Eve. God did exist. So he didn't try to prove that God didn't exist. He just twisted his words. And so now Satan knows he cannot keep us from heaven, but he makes every effort that we stumble not walk steadfastly in the faith towards heaven. He would have us stumble all the way to heaven rather than walk steadfastly. Rather than like Paul to say, I've finished my course. I've fought the fight. I'm ready. So therefore, Paul, or therefore, Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, always vigilant in everything you do. In the coming of Christ, pastors, be vigilant, watching over the flock, taking care of them, warning them, feeding them, protecting them. Watch and pray. When you pray, watch your mind, watch your thoughts. Don't let anything, don't let anything go in there. Let nothing keep you from prayer. You know, God can, if Satan can keep us from reading scripture, like I said yesterday, and, and worship service and prayer, he's, he's, he's made some advantages against us. Beware of that. One man asked an old preacher one time, I believe it was John Wesley, maybe Whitfield, I do not recall. He said, I have trouble praying because I don't feel like I should pray. You know what he told him? He said, then, brother, you pray until your hearts be warm. You pray until it becomes heated for the love of God. Our flesh doesn't want to do that. But, oh, prayer is the closest we come to God. And it's amazing over the years I've seen Christians have problems in their life, the family on the job, and they don't go to church. And they'll say, well, because I was so burdened and I was so despaired, I didn't feel like I needed to go to church or I could go to church. That's when you need to go to church. We don't understand when we need to pray and when we need to read because we're not vigilant. Satan comes and says, ah, oh, what do you want to read the Word of God for? You don't get anything from it. You're not understanding it. It's just a lost cause to you. Why do you even give any effort? Just lay it aside. Don't read it today. You don't feel up to it. Oh, you're too tired. You're too weary. Be vigilant. Be sober-minded. Oh, don't pray. Don't pray. You don't feel like it. And you would dishonor God right now if you prayed in the state of mind that you are. Oh, Satan says, don't pray to God. Then is when you should pray then is when you should read. I had a brother one time in Germany who had sleep apnea. 
couldn't sleep very much, but when he did, he he just fell asleep. Problems with it. He said, preacher, he said, I he said sometimes at nighttime I start praying and I'm so tired. He said sometimes I just in the middle of praying I I fall asleep and then suddenly I wake up and I'm on the floor and my face is on the pillow and he said I feel so bad. He said, what should I do? I said, when you wake up, just say in Jesus' name, Amen. You made an effort. You wanted to pray. Understand your adversary. Know his voice. My sheep know my voice, and they will not follow the voice of a stranger. Know the voice of your adversary. Know your adversary. Know yourself, your weaknesses and shortcomings. Know your pride and your sinfulness and your own arrogance and your own self-satisfaction and conceitedness. Know yourself. But most importantly, most importantly, know Christ. For it is in His strength and in His power we must stand. And He must, said Luther, He must. And He will win the battle. He must and He will win the battle. Satan knows he's a defeated foe. That still doesn't stop him from trying to make us miserable in this life. He cannot keep us from heaven. He cannot keep us from the love of God. And he knows that. He's well aware of that. But he does everything he can to make us miserable as we pilgrim through this world of sin and despair. Let him not. Let him not get an advantage of you. Be not ignorant of his devices. Be sober. Be vigilant. And then Peter says, which I'm looking forward to looking at last night, there's some that say, be gone with this text. Let's get on to something more joyful. And I'm telling you, this is very important for our age, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking my time as the Lord leads. But now when Peter says, okay, you've been equipped with sober mind and vigilance, he said now in our text, he said now you can resist this roaring lion steadfast in the faith. There's the key. You're sober, you're vigilant. Okay, those are two negative things, actually. The defensive now, what do we do offensively? Resist him. Not overcoming him, not overcoming, overpower him, not conquering him. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. <laughs> Spurgeon was right. There is something very strangely comforting knowing that the adversary, that my adversary is the devil. Know yourself. Know your adversary. More than ever, though, know Christ. And I love how Peter, I love how Peter would close this, not close it completely, but he'd tie it all up by saying with an assurance that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. How, how much we can influence one another in this battle against Satan. What a pleasure it is to have a church. And this is rare today in this generation of schisms and divisions and rogue Christians and independent believers and everybody doing their own thing. Like in the book of Judges, every man did that which is right in his own eyes. That's strange and unique and rare. But I'm telling you, beloved, when a church gets a hold of what it is, what Ephesians 4 talks about the church, what Christ speaks about the church, what Peter even says about our adversary, beloved, I'm telling you the strength in a multitude of counselors. Here's strength as we pray for one another. 
and as we encourage one another, as we provoke one another, as we exhort one another. Oh, dearly beloved, this is a good warfare. It is. May God give us grace to know something of the triumphing through Christ who loved us. Amen. May God grant us that grace and mercy. Let us pray, our Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord, I, I again, I beg of your forgiveness. What words can a mortal man add to your words? Nothing. All the words said this morning that are mortal and from finite man has no effect. May your word go out in power. And Lord, I pray that it would equip your children with the spiritual armor that we need to fight against this great adversary. May we be reminded of how much we can encourage and comfort one another as we pray for one another in this great battle, this great conflict, which cannot be compared with any warfare mankind has ever faced. Father, we pray that, Lord, you'd help us in these latter days to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, that we might be able to put on the armor of God. And Lord, when we have trouble putting on a certain piece of armor, may our dear brothers and sisters come along our side and assist us in putting the armor on and help us and not degrade us and condemn us and ridicule us. Oh Lord, I pray, God, that you'd bless us with this divine truth. Guide us and direct us we pray. Bring us through this week. I pray, Father, you'd be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. And Father, in closing, I say a specific prayer request for our dear brother Stuart, even now as he prepares his heart, Father, for this next week. I pray, Lord God, that you would, Lord, you would just embrace him not only with your Holy Spirit and your love, but I pray that you would give him utterance to speak the wonderful riches of Christ. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't fall on deaf ears, but I pray, Lord God, it'd fall upon ears and they'd be opened and they'd see and they'd understand. Oh, Lord God, I pray. May you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. For we ask these things in Christ's name.